on this first Sunday of the year as we gather, have opportunity to gather together around God's word for the first time, I'm going to be directing our thoughts to the subject of stability. I believe we enter this new year with a heightened sense of the need for stability in the community and the world around us. And Lord, forgive us if the instability of this last year has caught us by surprise and that we've been affected by our surprise for the scriptures clearly tells us to not be surprised when difficult things come our way. And so I want to direct our thoughts in a pastoral way this morning to the subject of stability, asking the questions, where does it come from? We most definitely need it. And what does it look like? And aware that going into the year ahead of us, we're grasping a little bit better, perhaps, our inability to control the things that we think should be giving us stability. Proverbs 3, verse 12 says, The Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights in. Well, God has loved us in this way. God has delighted in us in this way this past year by way of loving us and delighting in, in us through his rebuke, the rebuke of a father. And as I consider the year behind us, there are two words that I have used and I will continue to use that I believe summarize how the Christian can process all that we have experienced. And those two words are refined and resolved. The Lord is refining us and he is building a resolve through that refining of us, making us pure to resolve in us things that he has for us. Let me define those two words very, very briefly. The word refined, I understand this, that a, a sovereign and a loving God has intervened in our lives. Sometimes we don't like our lives being intervened in, but, but this is a good intervention from a sovereign and a good God has intervened in our lives to turn us from well-worn but unwise paths. And do we have the humility to acknowledge that sometimes our paths are indeed very well-worn, but they're not the wisest of paths. And so the Lord loves us by refining us. It is indeed a great mercy for the Lord to intervene in our lives and to refine us. And, and he gets our attention. And it is a great mercy. And the most foolish thing that we could ever do is to spurn God's discipline, is to despise God's reproof. I was reading through Proverbs chapter 4 recently, and it speaks of those whose life is being ravaged by the choices that they've made in life, and it speaks of their groaning. And so I, I can say this of the future for sure, that if there is a a rebuffing of God's refining in our lives, then our future holds groaning. The Lord is refining us. The second word is resolved. And what resolved is, is the evidence of being refined. There's real no way that we can say that we're being refined by God if we're not also being resolved. And here's what I mean by that word. It, it is, uh, we understand that a sovereign, again, a sovereign and a merciful God 
has intervened in our lives to turn us to paths. Being refined is being turned from paths. Being resolved is being turned to paths. Turning us to paths that, that better serve his glory and also our thriving. Do you want to thrive in life? I do. And it's a wonderful thing that these two things always go together, where God is most glorified, his creatures most thrive. And it's something that we have to get through our thick brains that God is good and that he loves us and that where he is most glorified is where we thrive. And so, again, it's a mercy that God gets our attention and he, and he takes us to paths that are good for us. Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, I have plans. This is God speaking to Israel in the midst of their being refined by Babylon. And words that Daniel would read uh, generations later uh, to understand that God has plans for his people to prosper them and not for evil, for a hope and for a future. And so there should be a sense of anticipation if we really believe that, that God is real, if we really believe that his sovereign hand is in the events of our lives, there should be an anticipation. There should be an excitement and an enthusiasm and say, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? What do you have for us indeed? The path I believe that we, that we thrive in and where God is rightly worshipped is when God's people look to God and find in God their stability. There's that word stability, that thing that we have such a great felt need for and the Bible speaks directly to. But it is a stability that is found in a person. A stability that's found in a person, not in our circumstance. And it's also I hope all of you who are believers in the Lord and have followed the Lord and lived the, in, in the Lord and, and given yourself to the wisdom of God, I hope that you could stand this morning and testify along with me that, that God brings stability in our lives. And it works. It's not just a theory. It's not just an idea. It's not just a, a religious idea. It, it's something that, that actually works. And I, I hope that you could testify and confess to that reality in your life this morning as one of God's people. Isaiah 33, verses 5 through 6 says this. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And he will be the stability of your times, an abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. I, early on in my pastoral vocation, whenever I would do a wedding for anybody, this was always the text that I would go to. As two people come together, standing before the Lord and before their family and their witnesses, I would open to this particular text and say that you need stability in your life. Where are you going to look for it? in your home, in your marriage, in your relationship, in your household, in all that you have in their prospects before you. Look to the Lord, and he will be the stability of your times. Let me point out what I believe is the most significant thing in this text, that God does not promise that our times will be stable. Okay, that's an important point. What he promises is something very different than that. 
He promises that he will be the stability of our times. See, it's something that transcends what the actual circumstances in which we live are. Uh, But it, it, it puts our feet on a rock, of course, and that rock is God himself. But there's a great distinction between saying, Lord, make my time stable and praying, Lord, please be the stability of my times. And that's the Christian life. That's the Christian capacity that believers have in world, in, in circumstances that are turbulent, circumstances that we have no control over. But there is a stability for us. In Old Testament vocabulary, it means that God chooses to enter the camp. And I think that's, that's the main point that I would like to get across this morning. It is an amazing prospect Just consider the prospect of God himself. Just consider all of his omnipotence. Consider all of his his greatness, his infinite wisdom, his his self-existence, his existing in eternity. Consider the, the prospect of that God promising to be our stability. It is an amazing prospect and an undescribable mercy that God in all of that greatness and his holiness should undertake should condescend to declare and to promise that I will be the stability of your times. And as I mentioned in Old Testament vocabulary, it means that that God enters the camp. I'm reading through the book of Exodus right now. And as the people exit Egypt and they go out into the wilderness, all of the elaborate preparations that God begins to explain to Moses on the mountain about all of the things that they are to prepare, all the way that the Levites are set aside, all the furniture that they are to to make that constructs a tent, all of it is in preparation for the last chapter in the book of Exodus where the glory of God enters the camp. And this is a people who had no stability, nationally speaking. They had no stability economically. They had no stability in any way that all of the nations around them had stability. They were wandering around in the desert. And yet all of the prophets through the rest of the generations until Malachi and all of so many of the Psalms also use these stories of God's provision of, of, for his people in the wilderness to remind them of the stability that they had, of how God provided for them with God in the camp. And we're reminded of the foolishness of the people and how they weren't satisfied with God in the camp. In fact, they found it more stable. They wanted more stability, or they thought there would be more stability in going back to Egypt. They saw more stability in slavery than they did with God in the camp. And they drove God from the camp by desiring through the generations that would come, the desiring to be like the nations around them. Think particularly of the conversation that the people had with Samuel saying, we want a king. Well, why do they want a king? Is they wanted to resemble the nations around them more than they wanted God to be their king and for God to be their stability. And so God allowed them to go in their, in their foolish ways. And he then uses those nations which they desire to be like to refine his people and to bring them back to places of repentance time and time again as they experience the consequences of their decisions and of their foolishness. Isaiah 
chapter 46, verse 3 says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob. Jacob, of course, that word that identifies his descendants in the tribes of Israel. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. God is indeed real and he changes everything. Listening to a sermon by one of my favorite preachers recently, his name is Alistair Begg, and he was preaching from Psalm 31, verse 15, that speaks of our times are in God's hand. And he says this, that prosperity is not an occasion for pride, and uncertainty for the Christian is not an occasion for panic. And adversity for the Christian is not an occasion for self-pity. Our times, indeed, are in God's hands. And he will be our stability if we look to him. If we give ourselves to him, he will be the stability of our times. But here's the, here's the million-dollar question, or maybe billion-dollar question with inflation and all. What does it look like? How does it work? How does one actually get stability? How does actually person get to the place in the, in the, cause you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, when all of these things and we go, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. I know that verse. I know that verse and do not fear. But when it comes right down to it, does it actually function in our lives? Does it work? All of the things that we believe. And that's such an, an important question of discipleship, not to simply not stop with answering the question, what is truth? What does the Bible say? But, but getting to the next question and asking, how does it work? It's my favorite question. How does it work? How does God actually become the stability of our times? And there are many ways, I guess, that that question could be answered through the scriptures. I'm going to use one rather narrow focus, but something that will be very, very familiar to you this morning. I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer. I believe the Lord's Prayer is the simplest way to answer this question. What is the path? What is it, how does it work for God to be the stability of our times? And let the authority of these familiar words, of our Lord's words, teaching us how to pray, ring in our head as we beat a path to God for our stability. Matthew chapter 6, again, familiar words. Jesus says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I believe the reason that Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way is because he knew their real needs better than they did. He knew what their path to stability in God needed to look like. And so he taught them to pray this way. And this prayer contains the fundamentals of stability. The fundamentals of stability that, that we can always go back to, that, that are ways that we can examine 
are we on the path to stability or is it merely something that we're only giving assent to without the practical implications of it? The fundamental details of, of, of or the fundamentals of stability can be articulated by these questions. Again, this isn't rocket science, as my dad would say. This isn't rocket science. Anybody can, can figure this out. We just needed to be saturated in these things and, and reminded of, of how they work. And I think you'll immediately recognize in these questions as the, these are the things that we most need for stability that the Lord's Prayer addresses. Here are the questions. Where do I get my significance from? Where do I get my identity from? Where am I deriving my self-worth from? What do I most long for and treasure? Or alternatively, what do I weep over? What disturbs me most? Where do I feel the most safe? And what do I rejoice in most? The Lord's Prayer profoundly directs us to answers to all of those questions in a way that, that cannot be thwarted by the circumstances in which we live. In other words, if we find the answers to these questions in the way that the Lord directed us to prayer, finding the fundamentals of stability, it really won't matter so much to us in our stability whether the vaccine works or not, or whether there is a second strain, or whether that lump that we find in our body this year turns out to be serious or not. There's something about the way that the Lord taught us to pray that directs us to the fundamentals of stability to find the experience of God being the stability of our times. Our identity is so critical. It is something that we are, are so tempted to find in things that cannot provide, provide this very important detail of our life. But the words of our Lord's Prayer, directing our thoughts to God as our Father, brings that very identity, that gospel reality that God is our Father and He is a Heavenly Father. So identify the things in life where you are most tempted to find your significance and worth and be deliberate about transferring that identity and worth to God, our heavenly Father. Our treasure, thy kingdom come, is a directing of our treasure. The things that we most desire in this world, the things that, that we most long for, alternatively, the things that we most weep over are things that are related to God's kingdom. And it is something that is secure. God's kingdom will surely come in all of the ways that God intends for it to come. It cannot be thwarted. I was praying on the phone recently with one of our members who is going through some difficult days. Their spouse was laid up in bed with some very debilitating pain. And as we closed our telephone conversation, we prayed together and I prayed for him and for the circumstances in which he's living. And then before I hung up, he, he said, I would like to pray too. And do you know what he prayed for? He didn't pray for himself. He didn't pray for his spouse. He prayed for the kingdom of God. With the, the deepest longing in his heart, he said, oh, Jesus, 
Would people please come to know you? And the thing that, that should disturb us most in the world around us is not the inconsistencies in our government trying to apply rules, not whether or not the economy is going to continue on without faltering. The, the thing that, that should disturb us the most about the world in which we live is that people don't believe and long for and seek the kingdom of God above all else. Safety. Where do we feel most safe? Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Give us our daily bread. The things that we are most incapable of keeping ourselves safe from and providing for ourselves daily the Lord provides. Rejoicing. What do you re re rejoice over? What we should rejoice over is that when we pray, forgive our debts, Lord. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us, our debtors. What we rejoice in is that our sins are forgiven. That there is no more shame. That there is no more guilt and that is necessary that is a, a fundamental necessary necessity for thriving and for bringing God into our life as our stability that is how stability enters into our life it is a significant question of how does it work but I also want to go on to answer this question what does it look like if we flatter ourselves that, that God is our stability, there are demonstrable proofs and evidences that God is our stability. Because you see, the stability brings thriving. And so if, if there's no thriving, there's, there's no stability. You can't say that our community or our, our country or our economy has stability if it's not thriving. We can't say that our homes and our household or our, our marriages have stability if they're not thriving. Thriving is the evidence, the demonstrable proof that there is, in fact, stability. And again, I'm, there are many different ways that one could go to describe the evidences of, of God being the stability in our life through thriving. And I'm going to focus on only one this morning. And I'm going to move from the Gospels now into the Epistles and, and speak about the church and give an apostolic example of the people who are in Christ now, thriving in Christ. And what does it look like? And I tell you what it looks like. It looks like serving one another. That's what it looks like. People who, people who are thriving learn to serve one another. I don't know of, of anything that's more clear in the scriptures about the church, about the people of God, about the body of Christ, where God has entered the camp, not into a tent, but has entered in his physical flesh to offer himself for our sins and become head of the body that he has called himself to. I don't know what greater evidence of, of people, a foolproof test than serving. A test of a people whose 
identity is in the right place. A test of people whose treasure is in the right place. A test of people who are rejoicing in the right things. Then simply to those who look to not serve merely themselves, but look to serve one another, being refined and also being resolved. And this is from Romans chapter 12. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you would like to, uh, to follow along with me. Romans chapter 12, turning to one of the most very practical apostolic admonitions in the scriptures that I believe serve as a great example of what does it look like when God's people give lip service. Yes, God is our, our stability, but looking for the evidences of it in our lives. Beginning at verse 9, it's bookended with these, with these words, ended, ending in verse 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. And then the, the passage ends with, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those are the bookends, but I'm going to read the whole passage, the, 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 all the words in between, because they're so descriptive of what serving one another looks like, not only in our behavior, but in our character as well, when those two things have to come together. So Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then again, this great summary statement. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And surely the only way to do that is to have God as the stability of our times. God is indeed in the camp. He is head of the church. And this is what it looks like for people to belong and give evidence of Christ being our head in the power of the Holy Spirit. All of us have been given the capacity to be connected to one another, to love one another, and to serve those whom God brings into our paths. Reflecting on the year behind us, it is something I've given thought to when the lockdown came in March that was similar to a death experience, not in the sense that our existence ceases in the way that it did before, but our, 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 our life in a way was suspended in the consequences of our choices. 
like a death where you, it, it's done. You, you can't go back and change anything. The, the way the life you've lived is, is the life that you've lived. And when the lockdown came in March and we, we began to make our way in the world with, without the ability to interact the way that we did before in many significant ways, we were living in the consequences of the ways that we had chosen to live. And it's something I believe that we need to give serious consideration to in the opportunity that there is before us for us to be resolved to find the good paths that God has for us. There's a phrase that I would like to use this morning that I, I hope stays in your head based on the exhortation from Romans chapter 12 here in ways that we are to serve one another. And it's simply this, call it one person ministry. One person ministry. You see, you can't do everything that, that the Apostle Paul describes for everybody. In fact, you can't even do one thing that he describes for everybody. But we all have to do something. One person ministry. And I think that we've also learned a lot in the, in the, in the last year about ways to, to think about our relationship, ways to process the, the, the strength of our connections in the body of Christ. And for example, those of you that have had opportunity to serve the Lemke family in the last few weeks, bringing meals to Ed and uh, opportunity to pray with them, those are opportunities that you have had based on your relationship that existed before the lockdown. And so think about it in terms like this, in ways that we've never been able to categorize our relationships with one another. In the year 2021, to establish relationships by serving one another that could survive a lockdown. That if we were to, again, ever be put in a situation where we don't have the privilege of the coming and going in the lives of people, that we would still have the fruit of the consequences of our decisions to serve one another well. And it honors God. It glorifies God. And it is also where we thrive best. Pastor Paul is going to come and read from Isaiah chapter 40. And it is a text that we have chosen to allow our thoughts and minds to be saturated with the truths of God. Often we read an Old Testament passage of scripture before the sermon, and we've changed it up a little bit today to read the scripture after the sermon so that you can hear this reading, having heard the sermon, and allow God's word to penetrate into our thoughts and mind. Let's uh, listen to the word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord our God will stand forever. 
Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is for him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him with? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for its silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come before you uh, this morning, this first day of the year, and I am so thankful that you have revealed your glory to us. You have re revealed your glory to us in so many different ways. You have revealed it to us in creation, and we need only look outside of our windows or go for a walk today, and we will see the incredible glory of your creation, the revelation of your 
characteristics and your attributes to us. And we will see imagination that is beyond anything that we can imagine. We will see power and might that sustains this world. We will see an incredible uh, creator who cares for the creation that he has made. Father, you have also revealed yourself in Christ. And we have thought about that as a congregation over the last uh, few weeks as we have reflected on the fact that Jesus the boy born to Mary was also your son, the eternal son of God. And you have revealed to us why he came. He came to uh, live a life before you of perfect will and sacrifice. And he died in our place so that he could redeem us from the law and bring us into your family. And we could be called sons and daughters of you. And Father, you have revealed yourself to us in the everlasting word that you have given us. What a, an amazing gift it is. As we have read, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word will be sustained forever and ever into eternity. Father, it is impossible for any of us to say there is no God or our God remains hidden. Father, will you let us behold you as we start this new year? Will you open our eyes so that we might see you in creation, we might see you in Christ, we might see you in your word? Father, would we experience your, your shepherding in our lives as you lead us and guide us and tend us like a shepherd looks after his flock? Father, would we be reminded that when we don't know what to do, your wisdom is without measure? When we are powerless, Father, we will be reminded that your power is unlimited. That, Father, when we are the recipients of injustice, that we will be reminded that you are the God of perfect justice, and one day you will judge the world with righteousness and equity. Father, would you remind us that there is no one and nothing that compares to you? Father, you, would you remind us that you are, in fact, the sovereign God who sits above the circle of the earth, and you look down upon this world that you have created. You look down upon the men and women that you have created, and you guide and you direct them. You lead them, Father, all of us, you lead and guide and direct. Father, would you remind us that this world is your world, all of it, everything in it. It is yours, and as we see your great power in it, we will be reminded that there is nothing too difficult for you to do on our behalf. Father, would you preserve us from ever coming before you in light of who you are and how you've revealed yourself to us and coming before you and saying, you don't know anything about me. You don't see what's going on in my life. Father, how wrong that is. Rather, may we come before you and say, Father, you know my coming and my going. You know me better than I know myself. I don't enjoy the circumstances I find myself in. I don't like what I'm facing, but Father, I trust you to be the stability of my life in these days and weeks and months that I find myself living in these ways. Father, I thank you that you love us and care for us. I thank you, Father, that you are our rock. And so I do pray for your people, Lord, those who are part of Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church and others who maybe have joined us and are listening to your word and finding out about you for the first time. May you continue to reveal yourself to us. May we continue to be those who look to you and find our identity in you as sons and daughters of God, incredible as that might be. We ask you, Father, to open our eyes to see the individuals around us, that one person that we might be able to help, that one person that we might be able to share the love of Christ with, that one person that we might be able to serve, even in the midst of our isolation from one another. We love you, Father. You are our rock. May we find our sense of stability and strength in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.